this one is called Teacher of the Night. And this is commentary on teaching ESL, which is English as a second language. And uh, here in the US, it, it's often taught at private schools for international students, students that are coming here uh, during their gap year, for example, um, between high school and university. Uh, maybe some are coming to study long-term so they can attend university here. Some are just kind of tourists um, and they come and learn some English and also travel around. Uh, so, but oftentimes these schools, uh, like the kind I have worked for, as fun as the job can be, um, and what a fun crew to work with a bunch of these well-traveled uh, teachers. And of course, hanging out with international students every day is, you know, every day is a little bit different, right? But the pay sucks. And so a lot of teachers have second jobs. Um, the ESL private school circuits kind of treats you like a Starbucks barista. You know, you're just a cog in a machine. Doesn't really matter what level of education you have. Everybody gets the same rate of pay to start and all of that. So it can be a little bit of a frustrating gig. Um, but it was fun. I'm glad I did it for as long as I did, which was, uh, I was 20 years in the field. Uh, no regrets, but um, so anyway, this is an homage to both teaching, um, teaching ESL and also commenting on the fact that the pay will just never, ever be enough until those schools decide to make it so. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Teacher of the night. Denise was an ESL teacher by day and a pole dancer by night. She loved both wordplay and foreplay and found a way to make both work for her. Her students were from around the world, rich, educated, and entitled. They were also kind, funny, and curious. They would come to California for two weeks, a month, three months, even a year. Those were mainly the Asians and Saudis. The Koreans took longer to become fluent speaking the language, as many of them learned by rote back home. Maybe, Denise thought, it was because it was easier to be perfect on paper than in conversation. The other long-termers were the gregarious Saudis, men and women in mixed classes for the first time, both great listeners and talkers, but who took a long time to become fluent in writing. The irony was the writing was what they needed to attend American universities. It boggled Denise's mind why such a rich country like Saudi Arabia didn't pour more resources into higher education and instead spent money to send their citizens abroad to get their BAs and masters. Denise thought that the Europeans and South Americans, though any Brazilian worth her salt will tell you it's all America, only six continents, what the hell did they teach you in school, could learn from the East Asians, how to include silence in conversation, give your interlocutor a chance to be heard at their own pace. The Belgians and Turks could teach the East Asians how to loosen up a little. Assert yourself, take risks and make mistakes, or simply don't care how bad your grammar is. She found the Swiss to be an unexpected combination of West and East, as they were both chatty and polite. In addition, they were stereotypically punctual, mostly, and used the same alphabet, a boon for all of Europe and her historically colonial residents. Denise's clients at the club were as varied in skin tone as her students, but were almost always locals and always men. Denise created a variety of playlists that had a mix of R&B, Tabla lounge beats, crooners, EDM, reggaeton, and all decades of pop and rock. 
A sativa gummy ingested 30 minutes before her first set would inevitably be her mood guide. The club was a decent size, with five to six girls dancing at a time. There were main stage acts on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, which were the only nights she worked. It was too hard to wake up to teach after a night of dancing. She learned that quickly. So for Friday classes, which started at 9 a.m., she always scheduled presentations or had them start a project that would lead to a presentation. Due next Friday, of course. Denise had a reputation as a grammar go-to for her colleagues, especially after she gave a workshop on activities to teach relative clauses. The teachers were all the Twitter when she handed out pictures of household items as if they were playing cards. Then, in small groups, they played Go Fish. They'd have to say something like, I have a thing that you use for eating yogurt, and the rest of the group would have to look and see if they have the matching cards. If the students were lower in knowledge, Denise would need to pre-teach the vocabulary to make sure they know what the names of such things like toaster, refrigerator, thank the gods for fridge, and faucet are. From them, she might hear things like, I have thing which use eating yogurt. Which use eating yogurt, while grammatically incorrect in other ways, is a correct defining relative clause because you need that section of the sentence, beginning with which or that, to define the subject. So, if it is a low-level class, call that a win. For an advanced class, she would walk around, listen, and assess the incorrect parts, correct vocabulary, and get the thing which you use to eat yogurt correctly uttered. She told one other teacher, Duncan, about her night job, and he was all about it. They were both around the same age. Denise was 24 and Duncan was 23, which was equal to or just a little older than 90% of the students at Ambassador Center for English. Duncan was one of only two male gay teachers, the other of which was a 60-ish Japanese-American who ran the most intellectual of all the elective classes called lateral thinking. Obviously, you had to be an advanced student to know what lateral means, but truth be told, Denise learned that most of her students didn't even know the names of their classes. They just knew that if it was a conversation, grammar, or vocabulary class, and if it was their level or not. The main English classes were three hours long and used strictly ambassador-created materials, which were, like curriculum everywhere, hit and miss. Denise liked teaching higher levels because once you get the students talking, they can carry on for a while, and she could actually get to know some of them. Then again, she could play a ton more games in the lower levels, like line up by age to learn numbers, dictation relay to memorize useful phrases, or scavenger hunts to find objects that match the color words on their papers. However, it took a lot more time at the copy machine and hunting down scissors to create enough materials for everyone. And since most low-level activities don't last very long, a lot more energy was spent. Some days, she was more exhausted from teaching than she was from pole dancing. Duncan was a new teacher, and they bonded over Game of Thrones. He promised to come by the club sometime soon after she revealed to him that that was her side hustle. She had told him that teaching was good for keeping her brain from becoming too lazy, but disappointing too. The pay at Ambassador was not good, even by English as a Second Language, or ESL, industry standards, which is why she sought a supplement. Turned out that it was the dancing that became her bread and butter. The funny thing was that one paycheck said Ambassador for the school, and the other Embassy for the club. Duncan got a huge kick out of that and laughed for ten minutes. It was funny no matter what, but even more so because she told him when they were stoned together after teaching. They quickly got into a habit of walking around the upscale neighborhood behind the campus after school was done, sharing vapes, weekend plans, gossip about students, teachers, customers, bosses. 
Duncan had a side hustle too, driving for Lyft on the weekends. Saturday night at the club after Christmas was like any other, busy as usual. Denise guessed that these men saw families as daytime entertainment. But what was not usual was that a few of her students came in that night when most students, A, never came to her club because it was too far, and B, should be traveling elsewhere, having an adventure in another part of California, or partying in Vegas as they had a week off for the holidays. So what were Yanis, Barat, and Dong Hyung doing here? Denise felt the blood drain from her face. Yanis was a Swiss student in her main general English class, one of the more engaged ones. Barat was in her elective called Global Issues, a classic Turkish student, sharp and combative with a great sense of humor. Dong Hyung was in her other elective, Grammar 2, and was quieter than his European classmates, but more diligent. His grammar was the best in the class, but his speaking fluency was low. Like some Korean and Chinese students, he went by a nickname. His was David. Luckily, she hadn't gone on stage yet and was just hanging out by the bar, nursing a rum and coke, working her way to the sweet spot that came with a nursed drink and a sativa gummy. Then she would be able to ascertain her mood so she could pick the right playlist for her main act. That was the one really cool part about working at Embassy. When you were on the main stage, you could play whatever you wanted. Upbeat was encouraged, of course, and prompted impulsive dollar tips. Slow and sexy music got fewer tips, but more fives, tens, and the occasional blessed twenty. Denise kept her place at the far end of the bar, but turned her head towards the wall. She went through her options. She could beg off her shift, claiming she was sick, but she had spent a lot of money recently on a new couch, her first not from Ikea, and really didn't want to skip a payment. She calculated how much she would make if she just stuck with the less frequent and side stages where girls danced in between the main stage acts. It being the holidays, she and the others had noticed a serious uptick in the tips. On the main stage, all they needed was to put in some elf clothing, put on some elf clothing, and by the end of the set, have on nothing but a red and green sequin thong and Santa hat. It was Christmas strip club gold. The three boys, technically men, but come on, they were her students, nestled together at a back table. That showed her that this was not a usual venue for them. They were testing out some waters that were perhaps not so available in a Swiss village, the bucolic Turkish city of Goynak, or a small suburb near the DMZ. She could have told you where any of her students were from, because it was always the first question in any language class. Think, think, think. Denise swiveled her corner stool to face the black light poster of a bare-breasted woman riding a unicorn behind her. She tried to remember their ages. Were any of them old enough to drink? None of them had been in California that long, as they had all arrived at the same time just two weeks or so ago. That's how they knew each other. All new students had to go through group orientation, which was always a fast friend experience. So they probably hadn't found a way to get fake IDs. That was another mystery as to why they were here. Most underage just crossed to Mexico to hit the bars. In fact, most international students who chose to be on campus instead of with a host family didn't meet any Americans at all. They just hung out with each other and, sadly, Denise thought, mostly with their own language groups and did touristy stuff together. It was different for long-term students, but most were just here for three months max, like these guys. At least these three were forced to practice their English with each other. Oh, shit. Before she could escape, she looked in the mirror behind the bar and spied Dong Hyung, David, come up to the bar. He had that eye-darting nervous look, but great composure. Maybe he was just going to order a Coke or something. He was halfway down the bar, so Denise couldn't hear, but she watched his reflection in the mirror as he pulled out his passport. She knew for a fact that the three of them, of the three of them, 
David wasn't 21. She knew that in Korea, they counted in utero as one year, but that wasn't reflected on passports or U.S. liquor law. The bartender smiled, turned around, and started to mix three drinks. How did he... Then it dawned on her. The rest of the world printed their birth dates differently from Americans. Day, month, year, instead of month, day, year. So it looks like he got the right naive bartender. And he got drinks for the other guys. Damn their loose drinks limit. These guys were now surrounded by naked women and getting served. They were here for the night. Think, think, think. Scenario one. Just go right up to them and say, Oh my god, hi! I can't believe you're here. I'm on in 15 minutes. What kind of music do you like? I am, like, dedicating my whole set to you guys. Scenario two. Forget the mad tips and the couch payment plan and a car that's about to shit the bed. Leave. Scenario three. Take three times as many gummies as usual, and whatever happens, I won't even remember. Or I will just remember feeling really good while doing it. Scenario four. Don't strip. Well, don't strip too much. Shit, might as well leave now for the low tips I'd get for that decision. She was on next, which gave her ten minutes to figure this nightmare out. There was no way in hell these boys weren't going to go apeshit telling everyone how they saw their teacher naked and jiggling at a strip club. She was getting clammy thinking about the rumors spreading around about her, sideways smirks from the students, and then that inevitable summoning into the director's office. Honestly, the administration could care less what the teachers do after hours, but to let the students see, well, that just isn't done. Her one shot at making the most money she'd make all year and not getting caught could to be could be to sport a wig. There were always a few in the dressing room, blue and short, purple and long, blonde and curly, Maybe not the most sanitary to share, but despite what people's impressions might be, strippers were a clean bunch. Speaking of clean, she couldn't forget to snip the string of her tampon so it didn't snake its way out while she was dancing. On her way to the dressing room, the entrance of which was thankfully right next to the bar, she passed the mannequin that always stood in the corner. Emphasis on man in mannequin. It was a twisted prank, perhaps, but some psychological game to even the score with all the leering men— a privilege, a privilege they paid for, but still. Dubbed Rude Paul, the male gendered mannequin was dressed up in an elaborate costume every night, and the girls, Denise included, loved to pick out his clothes. Tonight, Rude Paul was just plain old Santa with boobs, and it struck Denise that she could do better than simply a wig. She made her way up onto the stage in her stiletto straps, bells jingling from multiple parts of her. The first line of the song she chose made her smile under her white beard and Santa hat, and made her bell-hung nipples ring-a-ding-ding, and those boys' dollars went fling-fling-fling. She almost made eye contact with Barat as he caressed her shaved leg ever so slightly as he tucked the dollar into her G-string. Denise had chosen Drake's You Too and dedicated it in a very smoky voice to all those that spoke the language of love. Drake said it all to her. I can speak you how to speak my language, Rosetta Stone, and who said Europeans never tip.